Any information in this podcast is not intended to promote or recommend any particular product or services offered by Bell's family and associates. It does not take into account the objectives, financial situation, or needs of any investor. Before making an investment decision, investors should seek professional advice. Many, many, many bearers have been buried today, and uh, more will probably be buried over the next few days, or potentially could be. Good afternoon, Lucy. We are recording this on Thursday afternoon after the Fed meeting that was around about 6 a.m. this morning. And certainly what we learned from this morning is that it's going to be a soft landing. Thanks, Gavin. Welcome, everybody, back to tomorrow's news. Today, I am back in the hot seat with Gavin, and we're actually sitting side by side in our boardroom today, discussing the latest from FMOC. Tell us what happened. Sure. Well, unless you haven't read a newspaper that raised 25 basis points, I think as I said to some folks, 5% chance. I was probably optimistic at 5% that there'd be 50 basis points. You did. But that was optimistic. I think listening to the press conference afterwards, which is critical, by the way, and just for folks... You know, you can look at the 25 basis points and try to interpret something. You can even read the FOMC statement and try to interpret something. But you really need to listen to the press conference. Mm-hmm. Why do you listen to the press conference? Because the press conference is where the market takes its tone from. This is a little like people do with, I don't know, the Chinese central government and the seating around Xi or whatever. You know, everyone is probably reading too much into everything. But that's what they do. And because they do that, you sort of have to know what to read and what not to read. And so what you heard, if you listen to that press conference, you weren't doing anything better at 6.30 a.m. this morning in Australia, is that I was very, very dovish, meaning that he indicated to the market that, hey, the financial conditions that we market observers have been saying, boy, have they ever been easing and they're too easy for the Fed. He's saying, well, we look at them as actually being relatively tight. And we are seeing an awful lot of evidence that inflation is slowing and that jobs are becoming less available. And we're quite happy with the path. Now, he also sort of hammers on about, yeah, well, you know, we're going to focus on 2% and we're going to stay the course and we need to be disciplined and so forth. But frankly, it all sounded pretty secondary to the primary thesis that added fuel to the fire and obviously the S&P rose today. Talk about that in a moment. Mm. But it added fuel to the fire that, in fact, we are closer today to the end of the period of significant rate increases and perhaps any rate hikes from the Fed. Mm. Post-Fed today, the market's pricing about an 85% chance of another 25 basis points in March. So that's what happened? Well, one thing that you said just then, which I'm curious about, is perhaps a slowing down of future rate increases. It sounded like that he was still going to perhaps continue to increase rates. So it's interesting. One of the problems with monetary policy is that it works with a very long lag. And of course, one of the things that markets do is anticipate changes. What you have is a matrix of multiple inputs where everybody is trying to get slightly ahead of the next point. And so 
Monetary policy takes a long time to take effect in the economy. And along the way, markets will try to look through what's going on in the data today to see what's going to be happening 6, 12, 24 months from now. And of course, anytime you're making a prediction with that length of time, with that degree of uncertainty, you're going to get wrong a lot, right? And so that's why we see a lot of volatility. And that's why I think people should be very cautious about people, me or others, or even markets themselves, in terms of their ability to predict the future. What we need is to read what's the market reading today. And as we view the world 12 months from now or six months from now, whatever, what do we see the more likely outcome might be? So today, it is very clear that the economy through the balance of this year is going to slow. Mm-hmm. How much will it slow? Well, currently, based on bond market, equity market, people say it's not going to slow a lot. Based on what Powell says, he says, look, it's a pretty resilient economy. Unemployment can rise slightly. Goods inflation will continue to, to fall because you're mitigating the supply chain issues. So we might decline to a very modest growth rate in GDP, mm-hmm. but we're not going to have a de- profound recession. That is negative GDP growth, mm-hmm. right? So we call that the Goldilocks software. That's what the market buys today, okay? So until there is a new data point, you need to be bullish. But at the end, today, what the market is telling you mm-hmm. is we think that there's a soft landing. Now, new data points and new evidence will change that view, obviously. Mm. That, by the way, doesn't mean that the S&P won't decline 2% tomorrow. No. Right? No. But the markets did rally. They rallied well. Yes. Yeah. For sure. Um, what other market reactions? You know, were there? Importantly, all risk rallied. So all mm. of what you can think of is that risky things went up in value. So the market is currently in a place looking at various assessments of risk where it's actually buying a lot of risk. That is, and you can look at meme stocks, you can look at crypto, you can look at the path of the US dollar. All of these indicators are indicators that market participants are increasingly comfortable taking more risk. Mm. What you can also observe is we've been in this phase now since the market low in about October. So we've been in for a while. So the question is, what happens now? I would say that we need to look at history. History tells us that January is a very good predictor of what equity markets will do for the rest of the year. So you can tell me that I'm nuts, that you shouldn't be long equities, but the evidence is January is good. Mostly the year is pretty good. Double-digit returns in aggregate. So that doesn't mean that we won't go from approximately 4,100 to approximately 3,800 or even 3,600 back to 4,100, back to 4,200. That would actually be all in a pretty good return for the year. The path of it might get a little ugly for a little while. We could see that. But at the end of the day, what we know is that markets tend to follow pretty specific rhythms. And we're in a year that is more likely to give you positive equity performance. So if you're a zero investor today, I think you don't need to go all in tomorrow. I think over the next couple of months, you're going to get more and more opportunity. But if you're a zero investor today, you haven't been listening to this podcast for the last six months. So you need to find a way to get equity exposure. Where would I say that should be? And I might be biased as I am 
just saying mid and small cap security should will outperform. Technically, they look fantastic. Emerging markets look excellent. And a lot of the weakness we've seen in the US dollar will help us. Mm-hmm. So whether or not the Fed's going to pivot, there's an awful lot that you can do from a portfolio perspective to give yourself risk exposure over the next little mm-hmm. while. Now, the one caveat to all this is we need to be aware of a mega risk that bears will always focus on, which is don't fight the Fed. So the Fed is taking liquidity out of the market. Banks are taking liquidity out of the market. Money is coming in broadly and coming out of risk and going into safer investments because by and large, people are more cautious about this coming recession. Yes, all of that is true, but we need to look at where we were, where the valuation of securities and so forth and the relative growth prospects. And so I would say that you can overly emphasize all of those bearish characteristics and find yourself you know, in a situation where Meta, which presented earnings after the close today, you know, bottomed at 80, everybody said, oh my God, they're wasting all the money on Metaverse. It's going to trade at 150. So that stock has doubled here wow. while everybody was hating it. And now they're doing a $40 billion share of buyback. So at the end of the day, I think you can find yourself in this position where it's very easy to get too negative mm. and not think out over the long term in terms of what might transpire and how the market might look through some of these near-term yeah. uh, issues. Last week, we spoke with Ronnie and we've been talking the last few weeks now about credit and the bond markets. What does it mean what's happened today to the risk-free rate. I think what it tells you is that credit spreads, which haven't widened, that is, you, much like equities, you haven't seen a period where it's the market has gone really risk-off in credit. Credit spreads have remained pretty tight, and in fact, they just tightened further today. Basically, people became more bullish today. That's good for people that own bonds. You know, Ronnie is better able to speak to this than I am, but you might be finding today that some of the things that you thought were cheap three months ago are now quite expensive. But at the end of the day, what is absolutely evident is that very short-term interest rates are likely to remain relatively high for some time. And I would continue to think that short-end bonds, be it credit in the government space or elsewhere, offers still pretty good value. Your biggest risk in that space seems to be dissipating it every day, which is that inflation has a bit of a U-turn. And because of all of this buoyancy in markets, that the economy reaccelerates, I think it's relatively unlikely. And so you, you've probably got a pretty good store of value in two-year bonds in the US. And finally, maybe just touch very briefly on China, always. Sure. The topic of the day and of the week. Anything interesting out of there in terms of the emerging markets? Chips, tariffs. Much like the rest of the market, and I think China's like meta in this regard, right? I mean, right about the time that people said it was uninvestable, and you know, you had Xi as sort of leader for life and so forth, and the markets really took off. And so now you've actually got to see real data play. How does it play out? One of the things that I'm looking at is the price of copper, because there's an awful lot of enthusiasm about reopening. But you know, there's lots of things that can confound that reopening. And so 
the path of Chinese securities in China as a market may well be a little uneven from here. But in general, the reason I think China's emerging markets at trade is that they always benefit from more resilient commodity prices, which are generally correlated to lower US dollar, which is, a, I think, we've got now in place, and a demand for commodities. Now, China's a big weight, so it's really the driver of that demand. But at the end of the day, mostly emerging markets work well when you've got a positive commodity environment. Lastly, we need to reflect on the fact that whether or not Chinese stocks may be a little overbought here, China is going to need to stimulate its economy massively. You don't just get restarted from a COVID period without some government assistance. And so that's going to be across all elements of their economy. And there's lots of good charts on this. They are stimulating their economy. They need to do that. They will help save the real estate sector. And and those are all good things for investors. Broadly, the most interesting concept, I think, is to look at the chart from 2000 to 2009, which is when emerging markets outperformed Mm. both the S&P 500 and everything else. And I think we could be back into that period where EM is really the trend. And to end, Gav, do you have a Twitter follow for us? Well, yeah, I do. I do. Thank you for asking. So my Twitter follower is Cassandra. Now, Cassandra is someone named Michael Burry. Now, Michael Burry is famous, of course, because you know him as the guy that basically called the subprime crisis. He's a sort of a perma bear. And I'm, I'm always sort of biased against perma bears because most of the markets go up, frankly. But yesterday, he's put out this single line tweet that said, sell he has now deleted his account. So wow. So you can't actually follow him anymore. Oh, no. I know, I'm not sure. I think it's probably because he had so many trolls. Uh, it was uh, Cassandra BC at Michael J. Burry. He may come back, but he is always bearish. And I think it's a little bit of a lesson mm. that there are two kinds of people to be afraid of, right? I mean, you know, you could, should be afraid of Kathy at Ark always bullish, right? Bitcoin's going to a million. And Cassandra, who says it's always going to zero. It's never good enough. It's never a low enough price and everything's always a scam. Neither is true. The markets go up and down. And I think you need to find a way to move from bearish stances to bullish stances and, and look for opportunities along the way. Great. Thank you very much. And we'll see you next week with another special guest. Yes, look forward to it. Thanks, Gavin. Thank you.